This is episode number three of the Bearded Marketers. I'm Rob. I'm Corey. And tonight we're going to be talking about personalities on websites, brands, uniqueness, how they convey those on websites. Right. I think we're also going to touch on when to introduce capturing information for users and or presenting alternative forms for them to contact you. When's the best time to really do that and how, how do we need to look at that differently? Yeah, we're also going to be talking about optimizing for different channels. Um, is it worth it to optimize landing pages for PPC, separate campaigns? How far down, how granular right. do you get? How do we look at our time? All those types right. of things. exactly. Most importantly, before we even get started, Rob, tonight, what are you drinking? <laughs> I'm drinking, again, a Moscow Mule. Mm, always delicious. Love the ginger beer. <laughs> to me, I'm uh, trying to grow my beard out more, so I'm sticking with the uh, Johnny Walker Black Label. So anyways, so let's go ahead and uh, get started for tonight. So the first item we really wanted to talk about, and I feel like this in marketing really doesn't get touched on enough. I, I feel like we we always talk about these case study or we always talk about these brands like Apple and things like that that have a personality or a feel, but we never really wrap that into our own strategies. I feel like when I read most online marketing blogs or you know, handbooks or whatever it is, it's always like, here's your checklist of items, you know, like here's your best practices. But I feel like very few, and I guess one, because it's hard to quantify, but really few talk about the benefit that can be had by exuding really like an experience and a personality throughout that experience and what that has to offer. So, you know, I was reading a, um, an article, I believe, on Mashable, uh, which they were talking about to a human behavioralist about this and how important personality and design can really be and how you really take and capture the visitor or really grab their attention and, and grip them. And I, again, like I think as marketers and people on this digital frontier, we just really don't talk about the value of that as much. You know, we're always in a in a race to you know, give me five quick things that I can test, whether that's buttons or, you know, small copy versus long copy or a mobile site versus non and all these types of things. But, you know, we really don't play around with much about the design of personality and what that does to people. And, and I think that, you know, the Internet for some people in particular is a very competitive place. And that personality can really help set you apart, whereas, you know, Apples to apples, you're really not all that different. You know, hopefully you get lucky in your channel optimization or your traffic acquisition um, or through some other means you can hook people. But from a product standpoint, you don't really stand out that much. And I, and I really feel like this personality aspect or, or this experience can really help set you apart. Right. I mean, that's the thing with the web is whatever it is you're selling, there's probably 10, 20, 100 other people selling the a, a pretty similar sort of thing. Maybe and not, it's accessible to find those people. Right. Maybe not the exact same thing, but something awfully similar. Mm -hmm. So building a brand around products and offline companies is something that people have been doing forever. I mean, brands show through in advertisements mm -hmm. and stores and the products they sell and all of those things. Mm -hmm. A lot of that, though, hasn't shown through yet online. Right. I feel like what most online marketers tend to stop at is, is a color scheme. So 
Yeah. Our logo is blue and green. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the colors we use on our website are blue and green. But that's right. typically where it stops. But if you were to essentially look at our homepage or our landing pages in grayscale, they wouldn't look all that different than our competitors. Than anyone else. Yeah, right. it's, it's the same general layout. It has nothing to do with the feel of our company. Mm-hmm. And this may not apply to every company out there. I mean, there are maybe some general e-commerce stores where this may not be as important. Well, I, I mean, I think even in that case, I mean, you're still buying from someone. Right. And and I think that we tend to look at purchases at a very uh, almost just like sterile, you know, like I need to do X, X, and X to get the sale. But we don't really look into sometimes the psychology that goes into that purchase. Um, and I think that personality for a lot of people is important. I mean, at the end of the day, people are buying from other individuals right you know there's like it's not an automated process and you know like we were talking about the web is super competitive and i think that assuming you're doing everything else right personality can really help seal the deal with people and it doesn't have to be just e-commerce i mean even when i'm dealing with another business you know sure we were talking i was talking about earlier you know, I think 37 Signals and Basecamp in particular is a perfect example. I mean, there are tons of companies that offer project management and uh, task management. But what Basecamp and 37 Signals really sell you on is this real experience. And it, and it almost feels like when you buy from them, you know, not only do you get the, the um, perception that this is a product that someone innately put a lot of time in and cares a lot about because they actually talk about that throughout the process um but it's almost like that your your purchase of that service is almost like you're entering a relationship with them like that that you that they care so much about their product and they are offering it to you but we're getting together and and we want to be the best for you, and right. we want you to be the best as well. Well, I, I think I agree. I mean, that was almost my point is that I think for some e-commerce sites, it's not as important. But I think where it is truly is important is the example you just gave. Mm-hmm. I mean, unique products like that, one-off type service, B2B stuff, mm-hmm. um, unique products that you only sell like a small line of things. You can mm-hmm. really create a really cool brand right. and website that really makes it personal and helps people understand I mean, people care about these things now, like the people who built their products, right. the quality of the service and, mm-hmm. the, and the products and the and whatever it is you're offering. Right. People want to know about these things. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 almost beyond just design and feel and, and personality. It's also about the content you have right. and how that comes across. Is it really personable? Like, mm-hmm. does it come across as if you're talking to me or is it really corporate-y in right. the way that it feels? Right. And like, I feel like, like a bunch of lawyers just went over this right. and this is the approved copy. Exactly. It's like, it's the copy that no one ever wants to read because right. it feels like a privacy policy, mm-hmm. right? No one wants to read that stuff. They want to read really personal stuff and it's almost refreshing. Well, and people are willing to right. read it. Well, it's refreshing when you come across a site that mm-hmm. feels like it's casually talking to you. Like the way that you would talk to a friend right. is the way it's the copy is written. Mm-hmm. And that's how the site feels. It feels more casual and like, I want to work with you. Right. Instead of being sold on something that mm-hmm. feels really corporate and and out of touch, mm-hmm. absolutely. I mean, and I think again, like as as marketers, we need to kind of try to avoid like getting into the trappings of what are like the best practices that I need to follow. I mean, yes, those are important. 
But as any experienced marketer will obviously tell you is, you know, those can be wrong in many cases yeah. for you. And I think that sometimes time better spent is how can, and, and even above like value proposition, because that can be more related to like your company and your offering. But like, what's the experience that we're, that we're giving to people and how are we really communicating that process? And, and how are we trying to instill like an excitement about our product and, and like an urgency? Like I, I want to be a part of this, not just, I want to buy this, but this is something that I need um, right, and I and I think that that's really what's gonna help set people apart because because those are the sites that we remember. Yeah, like I remember Basecamp because they go into that level of like personalization and just selling me on the story and things like that. And and even though that we all remember those sites or, or can spot them when we're on them, it's amazing how often we are you know don't really think that that applies to us or really don't won't see that as a as a worthwhile topic for us to really right. focus on well it also takes a lot of effort sure to create yeah. i mean just even to come up with the idea and how that's going to be implemented and the fact that it has to be beyond just the website i mean it has to extend into your ads yeah. and your even like customer service your customer service your email messaging right. everything following up mm-hmm. uh you know after someone buys something right. those like are Zappos all equally is a good example right those are all equally important i mean it's right. it's almost i've noticed this several times you buy something from a, a small website mm-hmm. And then you get those emails and they're like, whoa, it's, it's obvious whoever wrote the website copy mm-hmm. is disconnected from the email marketing department sure. because these emails feel really corporate and right. out of touch. And mm-hmm. it's like weird to, right. to know that difference. Uh-huh. And it sort of diluted the brand. It, it right. made the brand seem less cool. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel as good about the website anymore. Right. Yeah, that, yeah, that messaging absolutely. needs to be connected. Mm-hmm. True. True that. So kind of along those lines and what we were kind of hashing out is is going beyond that. And I feel like something that we don't really test or talk about too much is really color schema that's on our websites and, and how that can influence attention to certain elements and, and just overall going back to the experience. So, you know, as a as someone that does a lot of testing on a lot of different websites, I've started to get more into understanding how contrast and color schemes really play a big role into conversion and help not only guiding people throughout the visit and and essentially establishing a default behavior. So an, a good example of that is when you are looking at your calls to action, are you consistent throughout the site? You know, have have I set the user to expect a, I don't know, blue button to continue on. But at some point in the process, I'm breaking away from that. And now, you know, they might not leave the site, but it's like psychological effort that they now have to expend to try to go hunt for the button that they need to go to continue because you've kind of established this preset behavior. But also, as kind of like a separate branch, I've recently been doing some testing on uh, contrast of your well, I would say not necessarily contrast, but saturation of color and how that can hide things. So as an example, I was working on a large a grouping, actually, of sports websites. And in our cart, we have a banner that um, talks about satisfaction guarantee and some return policy information, which is pretty unique to our industry. And, you know, first of all, what I found with the test is including the banner 
aided conversions. It hurt mobile a little bit, and I think that's because it just crowded up the design, but it helped overall conversions, especially on desktop users. But in digging into the deeper a little bit farther, and this is probably a separate topic that we'll either tackle tonight or another night, and digging into the, the data a little bit deeper, I started noticing a trend that this um, the tag that we say satisfaction guarantee is red. And what I found in the data actually is on the team sites where the theme was not red, the conversion gain was actually much higher. And so in doing some further testing, we found that essentially there was an oversaturation of red throughout the visit. And what happened is when people got to the cart, you know, there was a gain for people that saw the satisfaction guarantee banner, but there was probably also a large population that totally ignored that element because it was also very heavy in red. And this site in particular, or these sites had red headers. They also had red um, side panel elements. It had like a, a, a background, it was a sports team. So I think it was like a stadium background, but it had like mm -hmm. a red kind of coloring on it. So, you know, I think as marketers, we need to really be cognizant of you know, one, just how we use color. And, you know, oftentimes we talk about overwhelming people with color, which is obviously something you need to avoid. But also, I think people don't really pay attention too much to consistency and, you know, what we're setting in people's minds for what they come to expect. But also thinking about how can we use contrast um, to draw attention to where it needs to be and potentially where saturation might be becoming an issue and you're not right. getting the full benefit out of things. Well, I think that's that is a huge issue that a lot of websites have a problem with. It's it's that they, they choose a color scheme, <laughs> tends to usually be a blue something uh -huh. and maybe a green, and they tend to use that on all the elements on their website. Right. So you have the issue you were just talking about where you have this, there's no contrast. Mm -hmm. It's all, it all feels the same. There's no, there's no attention being given to calls to action or areas where you want people to be paying attention to certain mm -hmm. elements. And... This almost, you know, you could take this a few ways, but I know of websites whose color schemes involve reds mm -hmm. and they tend to use red and in everything and in, including buttons that, right. that can have wording like continue and, mm -hmm. and purchase. And I know that there is some sort of psychological barrier to wanting to click on something that says red right. when you're going through a, a, a checkout process. Uh -huh. A red thing means back or cancel, right. not continue or purchase. Right. Especially when I'm giving you like credit card information. Right. Right. Well, and there's a lot of psychology involved mm -hmm. in, in colors. And I know a little bit about this. I haven't right. read too much about it. And I don't know how much weight or merit to give it online. Mm -hmm. But I know in, in certain industries, blue is common in finance and banking right. because Blue tend to, tends to convey trust oh, to people. Trust. Mm -hmm. um, I also know that, you know, like McDonald's with their yellow and red is mm -hmm. really popular because I guess it makes people hungry. And I think <laughs> they've done studies. It makes people eat quicker, too, uh -huh. is something they found out, which is it's interesting to hear those kinds of things. I, I mean, not saying that those apply directly to websites, okay. but it's interesting to understand that there are psychological differences between the colors you use. It's not just about picking schemes and and making themes seem coherent i guess right you know there is some psychology involved mm -hmm. in some of that stuff it's not just picking something that looks pretty right you know and we've actually i ran a test like this on um a large uh clothing retailer and what we actually found was for our particular case 
consistency was actually more important than the color. So when I first got in, well, you know, I was kind of under the auspice too of they had red calls to action and they had a red add to cart. They had um, some yellow buttons throughout the cart and then it was a red basically confirm purchase. So I ran some tests where we did a bunch of different color schemes and really what we found, so I did like green, I did orange, yellow, and then kind of a mix between the two to kind of see what would be the issue of when we mix and match colors. And really the difference between all red, all green, and all yellow was all negligible. So what the takeaway from that test was for our business was more so than anything else, just having a consistent path for understanding where I need to go next was more important than the actual colors, if that makes sense. Because we yeah, didn't see a, we didn't see a huge difference between the three. Now, I think that if the thing that we're collecting was different, if we were selling a different product, or if we were maybe collecting a lead. Um, that might come more into play with a coloring. Um, because again, you know, we're essentially, um, breadcrumbing people along this process and, and the process is a lot of different steps. Whereas, you know, who's to say that if we were just collecting, you know, looking at just add to cart, or if we were looking at just collecting someone's personal information, that color might not be more important uh, in that instance. But because this is more of a long tail type of uh, conversion outlook, we didn't really see that much difference. It was more of the consistency. Yeah. I mean, setting I, a pattern. Right. I think that makes makes a lot of sense. I mean, when you're going through a long checkout process from the beginning being an add to cart sort of step and then, mm-hmm. and then going through those steps, you know, if that first button was yellow, the next button's yellow, you expect the next one to be yellow and right. you're looking for that yellow. Mm-hmm. So keeping the process steps yellow and keeping like the cancel or back button something else, some other color is important, right. I think. Mm-hmm. So long as you're consistent. Right. Um, I think the differences between colors, I think that makes sense that there's probably not a statistical difference, at least not maybe, much. Maybe I mean, at certain steps, like right. I said, like add to cart right. or if we were just doing a one-page lead for submission or something like that, there might be more differences there. But on the on the longer funnel that we were looking at, we didn't see a material difference between the two. But I do, I do want to emphasize to people as well to really pay attention to contrast, um, like Rob was talking about, that making things stand out where we want to direct people's attention. Um, you know, like he used the example of a lot of sites will use a consistent color on their buttons and then also other theme elements. And when you're looking at the page, it's really hard to understand where I need to go. Um, and like in the example that I gave with the banner, sometimes in overusing a color, you can really kind of cause people to overlook things. Um, now there's something to be said for having um, too harsh of contrast as well. And that just causes a lot of eye strain or just an eyesore on the page. So watch that. But also on the topic of contrast, also watch how your colors might contrast on different monitors. So I see this a lot with some designs where, you know, I'll see a, a, um, an element where it's like yellow background with like white text. And I, you know, on my really high quality monitor that might render fine but on someone that has like a phone which has a you know maybe it's not a high quality screen or someone with like a crt or just an old lcd 
some of those colors are really hard to render or don't render well at all. And I can't even read what's going on right. here or just looks bad on the page. And, and I know you're talking about, uh, you know, how we need to kind of look at our sites um, through different, when we're designing them through different lenses, because that can be important. And, and I would caution you guys to, to consider that as well when you're using color. Like, how is this going to contrast on maybe a monitor that's not so good or in sunlight or, or in these different real world examples that come into play um, and how we can kind of best serve our experience to our users. I, th I think that's a good point. I, I mean, I know if you ever see any of the websites I've designed or mm -hmm. mocked up, they all have common themes. And I love using grays mm -hmm. in varying ways to put necessary content on a page, but to de-emphasize it. Right. I love graying things out like... Uh, security seal logos and things mm -hmm. like that. I like graying them right. and, and dimming them out. Like mm -hmm. But something important to keep in mind, like you were just saying, is on a lot of cheap monitors off the shelf, you know, you just plug them in, you don't tune them or anything mm -hmm. like that, grays can, can completely washed out and look white and you right. won't see anything. Mm -hmm. So I have noticed there is a big difference between using a well-tuned monitor oh, that yeah. can show the grays mm -hmm. and the site looks good. And then, you, right. and then you pull out an old monitor it's, and it's I like, can't I can't, it. you can't see anything. All <laughs> right. those elements are washed out and gone. Mm -hmm. So that is something you definitely need to pay attention to. And that's more like a design uh, issue, but it, it speaks to what we're talking about with contrast and, and de-emphasizing. Yeah. I mean, and, I think that it's, it's, it's relevant to some marketers because yeah. at, the buck kind of stops with them. And and I think that for des, for marketers, it pays off to kind of learn design and learn these types of things because maybe your designers don't really think about it. And at the end of the day, the buck stops with you with results and ideas that you're going to be generating for your tests. So, I mean, as a marketer, having a maybe you just don't have an eye for design, but learning simple rules like that can really help understand the differences by why my why a page might not be performing as well um, and, and easy wins for you in the business or prevent a good page turn bad uh, and you ended up scrapping a good idea because it was just a poor implementation so right i think the next topic we want to talk about was a little bit about um, lead capture landing pages mm -hmm. or processes and when to emphasize having a customer call you versus when yeah. you try to collect their information right. and contact them. Uh -huh. So which way do you want to push or pull the information? And sure. I, I was actually, how I came up with this was earlier today, I needed to schedule a service for my car. Mm -hmm. I actually got an email randomly, mm -hmm. just so happened, from the, do that? <laughs> from the dealer. They're in my mind, in my mind's eye. So I clicked on the link and I was actually able to set up an appointment on their website. On your phone. On my phone, which oh, wow. uh -huh. blew my mind right. because I totally did not expect this, mm -hmm. this level of technology integration. Right. And you were actually able to pull up dates and times when you were available. Right. And it was not, actually... Not because it's not possible, but most right. websites are just terrible at mobile integration. Right, exactly. In and, you know, a lot of people would say, well, why don't you just call? Mm -hmm. Well, I do call and I always get the voicemail and I have to leave right. my phone number and then they call me back and mm -hmm. I have to be paying attention with my phone in my pocket. Right. So sometimes, well, sometimes it's not, you, you don't have the ability to call whether right. you're in a metro area and you're maybe on the subway or you're in a meeting and this person's really boring that's talking. So I'm going to make my oil change appointment. You know, there's, yeah. there's cer realistic circumstances where call is not necessarily an option and, and that would be a viable alternative. Or maybe I just don't want to talk to someone. I'm a... <laughs> right, which is, which we're raising generations of oh, people yeah. 
who cannot handle talking on the phone with someone. Right. Who will not who don't even know that their iPhone has a call function on it. <laughs> Never even, used. That app, they actually oh. deleted that app. Took that off that the icon is, I don't is ever off. use that. Right. <laughs> right. And when they get a call, they don't know how to, yeah. they don't uh, know what to do with it. No. But Send I think it's next. it's a good point because I think for a long time online, we went to the to that extreme where we only had form fillouts. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have phone numbers on mm-hmm. anything. It was like... You didn't want you wanted to almost be anonymous online. Right. You didn't want to have a phone number where you had to have someone on the other yeah. end answering it because you didn't want to pay those costs or right. it was just too much of a hassle. Yeah, I had my prepaid phone, man. Minutes are expensive. <laughs> right, right. So I think there is definitely a balance you have to have, mm-hmm. and it completely depends on the industry you're in. Sure. But I just want to make, I guess, the point that for some industries. You know, like service-based things. I know mm-hmm. you have experience with that. Right. I think, I mean, I don't want to speak out of turn here, but I think a lot of people want to call on something like that. Yeah, I would I would, Im- I would imagine. So I think where, you know, when we're looking at process optimization, what you might, what might come into play most specifically is <clears throat> how much do you want to qualify that person before you give them the number? You know, so do you want to somewhat, get them to take an action or communicate something to you that they're more interested than a typical person uh, as a way to kind of, I mean, because call center and people's time has a cost, whereas a website can kind of, I mean, it has a cost of creation and all that, but it can kind of somewhat do the lead qualification for you. And sometimes making people jump through hoops ensures that you're not going to be wasting, excuse me, you're not going to be wasting your time as much. So you know, a perfect example for your for your car um, question might be to input your make and model right away. And based on that, we might show a number in the next step, assuming that we can service that model. If not, then we might just return a message. So I think that some people might need to do some kind of pre-qualification before they want to enter that cost into the equation of, of offering a phone. Um, but... It's definitely easy to test as well. I mean, there's tons of products out there that allow you for call tracking. So if you want to do some landing page tests uh, where you're looking at those processes separately, like one of the products that I use that's really cheap and easy to access is CallRail. So with them, it's really easy to set up different landing page numbers and pools of numbers. Um, And they give you a wide range of, of tracking and a ton of different options. So if you want to play around with that, then those technologies exist and are really accessible at this point. Um, but I agree with you. I think that both are important because sometimes the effort, you know, having the availability to do what you did online also comes with the risk of if I if I offer this as a service to book an appointment online, it better be damn good because if it's not and it's frustrating... I might now have lost a right. sale because of this poor implementation, whereas just giving them a phone number, I might have gotten that sale. So in making more options available, that does not remove the item of quality from the equation. By offering options, you need to still make sure that it's the best it can be and you're doing the most you can on the usability front and just you know, creating a process that's as best as possible because those can cause you to lose a sale as well or a lead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's going to depend a lot industry to industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, though, if you can make, create a smart lead capture form 
-hmm. that sort of pre-qualifies kind of like you were speaking to. I think for most industries, you can create a smart lead capture form. I I don't think a lot of people take the time to do that, to really think about what are the questions that people are trying to get answered Mm -hmm. and what are the things that they're, what kind of pieces of information are they willing to easily give up Mm -hmm. early on in the process to get them to go through the complete process. Well, what's easy too on the device? So you were talking about your, you know, they sent you an email, they sent you to a mobile optimized page. What I'm willing to type out and easily do on a computer is is probably a little bit different than a mobile device right. on the amount of effort that I'm willing to expend with my fat, fat thumbs on a keyboard and clicking into the wrong input field and waiting for this page to load because I'm not a wireless and this thing's taking forever. So you're exactly right. I mean, people looking more intelligently at what are the questions that we're trying to answer? What what are we, what do we really need and what are we right. getting greedy with and what are people willing to, to give us as well? Right. Well, speaking to that point, I mean, the dealer example, they could have very easily asked for things like a VIN number uh-huh. so that they could reference their own records. Right. But, but asking for something that. like that, like, I, I don't know what my VIN number right. is. Now I got to walk out to my right. car and figure it out. I'll yeah. skip it. I'll call. Right. And now you've, you've had to waste an employee's time mm-hmm. to call me back and get this well, information. So, okay. So stepping back, you're frustrated because you had to enter in a VIN number. You didn't have that. You called. The person didn't pick up. Now you're really pissed. Now I'm going somewhere else. And, well, all, and all because right, right. Th- that started with the form not being well thought out. In a normal situation, yes. In right. this one, no. But yes, right. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Like if, if you're offering some sort of product or service that someone can easily just Google and find someone else, mm-hmm. yes, that's exactly what's right. going to happen. They hit your landing page. You're asking for, you know, for instance, painting quotes on a room. Mm -hmm. You're asking for the exact dimensions on the room. Well, they haven't measured it out yet, (laughs) so they don't know. So they're Uh going to someone else who's just going to give them a flat quote on a room. Which might be even cheaper. Right. But they they didn't make it through that process. Yeah, you've made your process too complicated, Mm -hmm. and they're going somewhere else. And they could have called, but no. Your form implies that they're going to have to have those numbers, and they don't have them. So they're going somewhere else. Mm Yeah. And I think that's a good point. You know, even in offering both options with what you're trying to collect on the form, does that imply effort that someone's not prepared for, even if they're calling in, you know, like using the VIN or room dimensions, even though one could argue, well, I can just call in. If you have that present on the page, do I assume even if I call in, this is something I'm going to need to know and I don't have right now. So I'm going to maybe go check somewhere else out. So that's a good point. Yeah, exactly. I think moving on, we wanted to touch on talking about optimizing different channels Mm -hmm. and how far marketers should be willing to go with that and how you sort of find out how far you should go. Mm -hmm. So it's obvious that different channels of traffic and sources of traffic will convert better on different kinds of landing pages with different kinds of messaging because Mm -hmm. the, the channel could cohere better with a certain type of message on a landing page. So right. you want to have the, a separate landing page for, say, for PPC traffic. Mm-hmm. And you want to have a separate kind of landing page for, say, the banner ad you bought on XYZ website. Right. So that seems... Weight loss. Right. So that seems <laughs> fairly obvious. Uh, so how far do you drill that down? So let's say within your PPC campaign, do you have separate landing pages for every campaign within, mm-hmm. within the PPC campaign? What if we build separate landing pages for every ad group inside the campaign or for every ad (laughs) Mm -hmm. inside the ad group. How far do we drill down? How much is that effort worth it? Right. 
Well, I think I how think do you even find hard... that out without actually testing? Yeah, yeah. I think that that's the first answer that is evident to me is first understanding what do gains really mean for you in a quantifiable right. way. So when I make a when I'm selling XYZ or I'm getting a lead, how much is that worth? And also how much is my time worth? And looking at not just a you know, if you're self employed, you you know, you can calculate that out. If you're a salaried employee, you know, you can calculate that out. But also there's kind of an opportunity cost that's present in not only what my time is worth, but you know, in direct dollars, but where else I could be spending this time, whether that's developing a new campaign even, or a new product, or, you know, signing up a new business partner. And first understanding what is gains worth to me in optimizing this, how can I quantify that? And then what, what am I worth? And then I think you kind of ease into testing and kind of see what what things are possible out there yeah i i think what i what you tend to see a lot happen once marketers find out that you know these testing platforms exist and mm-hmm. wow you know they learn some principles of testing and right. they start testing everything mm-hmm. and sort of in that in that adventure of over optimization sure they test pages that shouldn't be tested right when you have a landing page that gets 30 visitors a month <laughs> right right yeah. 10 conversions a month uh-huh. You know, getting a 10% lift on that isn't worth it. Right. Isn't who, worth who the, the 20 hours you spent building the landing page and the hour a day you spent checking the stats because right. you were obsessed with it, yeah. you know? Well, I think that's kind of indicative of our industry, though, of people that are in the race for percentage gain. So <clears throat> as marketers, we're inundated every day with emails from marketing agencies and um, benchmark guide companies selling us on a webinar where emails converted 162% better and landing pages that did 200% better at getting lead captures or AOV gains that were 60% better. And we are kind of blitzed by all this information where we are in the hunt for the percentage gain but we really don't look at what the bottom line impact is on that. So if we're running a test and we increased AOV 60% on a subset of products that 10 people buy a month, who, right. who cares? Yeah. I mean, that's great, but that probably did not even, I mean, it all depends on what, you know, what leads are worth and what products are worth. <clears throat> but that might not even have paid for your time in the seat for the company and develop and all the time that was invested in that test. Absolutely. And I think as marketers, we haven't come, you know, there's one thing to be said for, you know, the deception that's in statistics and just in general. But I think as marketers, we haven't really, we are in a thirst for these best practices and these big percentage gains that from these companies, we don't really come to expect that data. So when we're looking at some of these case studies that they provide us, and we start going to hunt for those same alternatives, we don't keep into mind, like, what? who are we really affecting? How many people does this really affect? And maybe it's not a, a sexy test, but there might be other areas of the website that demand more attention that might be a lower percentage gain that we can arrive at. Or maybe we even have a couple of tests that are negatives where we're trying to learn more about why our users are doing things. 
But at the end of the day, the impacts are much more of, of value. And yeah, you might not have a PowerPoint slide that you can show your CEO 100% or 160% gain on X, but you can tell them, we added $5 million to the bottom line because of this test, and it was 5% higher, and I did that, and I'll take a raise now. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, and, and right. I think that we, we don't... I think a lot of marketers are afraid of diving into the data to, one, understand where the high-value pieces of the website lay, um, but also, again, like valuing your time and trying to strategically pick out uh, what can be the best items to tackle and, and what might not be the sexiest, but will lend you the uh, the big bonus at the end of the year. Right. And, and unfortunately, <laughs> I feel like a lot of that good insight co- just comes with experience, mm-hmm. like the ability to look at a landing page and, and realize that it's about as good as it's going to get. And I can mm-hmm. probably get a 10, 20, sure. 30% lift, which would be great if it was doing a million dollars a year. Right. But this page is is doing relatively few leads and I th- that 10 20 30 percent impact isn't gonna like you said pay for the hours that I'm actually investing right. to make that test happen well and there's also what people forget a lot about as well is for many of these studies that you read it's all it's relative conversion difference so the difference between sometimes a 50 percent converting test really isn't all that that great when it's looked at absolute numbers and right. the gains there might not be, I mean, it's, it, it can sometimes seem like a really big number when you, when you look at the grand scheme of things and where it's occurring, it might not be that big of a deal. Yeah. 50% looks huge, but when you really look at the absolute numbers, where it's occurring at in the funnel and where it's at the bottom line, it might not be that big of a deal. And, and I think that, you know, it takes us, wanting to get sometimes into stats and understanding what metrics really mean. Uh, maybe that means <clears throat> talking to some of our colleagues in, you know, like unrelated areas that might have math experience and trying to learn from them or taking some classes. But as a marketer, if there's two things that I can recommend <clears throat> to be of high value, three things would be invest in psychology, invest in ground level statistics and invest into understanding design a little bit. And I right. think that, that that will really help set you apart because again, a lot of people are just looking for the gimmies, the the ten best things to do in your landing pages. But if you can understand why people are making those decisions, the psychology into them, being able to look at the numbers on what's actually happening and wh- how to ascertain where the real leak points are and then how to best present that. Uh, or at least communicate to a high quality designer how to make that to actualize that on a page. That's where you you know you really get the gig big gains and you stand out from the wash of <clears throat> people that have watched YouTube's and you know done the silly stuff in college and think that they're online marketers. Now, now right. you're just like the the next level there, and you become valuable to your company. You know you're you're not easily replaced by someone that has some tweet deck experience or, you know, they think is just some other online marketer. You know, you become valuable because you can show your value and you can find your value. Yeah, I think you make a good point in terms of the actual value of those percentage Mm -hmm. increases. So Mm -hmm. let's say, you know, you have that $1,000 a month landing page that nets you $1,000 a month. That 25% lift... That that's nothing, right. you know. That's that that that's wasn't worth of, the the yeah. hours I put into it. Right. I think though you sort of hint at two larger problems, which I think we've sort of discussed before, and that's that 
all of these case studies you see on webinars are such cherry-picked statistics and examples of things that are probably not valid tests to begin with. Mm -hmm. And if they are, they're freak occurrences. I don't... Yeah. Or I've pivoted the data so much that I found this one segment where that happened. But that's, you know, this might be a statistically significant test, but I've picked this very small niche that I can say where this game happened. But like you said, it's not representative of what anyone else would ever see. Right. Well, and let's, I mean, you know, I'm not a statistics major. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I took one class once. <laughs> I passed it, I think. I know numbers. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the way that we statistically validate mm-hmm. uh, tests using tools that are, you know, off the shelf isn't really relevant to the way that you really need to holistically be looking at tests. Mm -hmm. So you ran a test for two days and it got enough traffic that it was statistically significantly different. But that was just two days. Right. I mean, realistically, you need to run it for weeks because two days means nothing in the grand scheme of things. I can pull up my stats for today and I made nothing on websites that usually make a ton of money a day. Mm -hmm. That's just how the internet goes. That's just how... It goes sometimes, right. and tests can can show data like that that mm-hmm. falsely hints at winners that aren't real, and right. that's and that sort of you know lends into the whole case studies you see in webinars and web clinics. Right. I mean, those could be examples like that. Well, and I was a freak I, occurrence. I was a, I guess I could call myself like an insider. So I, I used to work at a really large marketing research firm and that that was typical case you know is cherry picking these results from these clients where you know we either segmented the data heavily to kind of arrive at these results or you know there were all these caveats that we conveniently left out when we were publishing this data um but you know that looking back on it i feel guilty now because i feel like it leads marketers down some really wrong paths because, like you said, there's some freak occurrences, whether that's, you know, we had a really high spike in, in certain kind of traffic three days, which we can obviously see in the data, but hey, the numbers look good, the client's happy, let's go ahead and publish it. Uh, yeah. And a lot of that goes on. Um, and then and then to justify our fees <laughs> or whatever, we'll extrapolate that over five years right? and give them some value. outrageous number, which <laughs> we'll, they'll never see. Right. But yeah, I think that that really just points to the sort of immaturity of the industry mm-hmm. and where we stand right now. Well, I thought and you brought up a good point about being, you know, looking at the results, which can be really good for a couple of days. You know, I'd say the counter to that is, I, and, and I think that the takeaway from that is establishing protocols for what you're testing it, it, it needs to look like. And I think equally as important is, you know, when there's a couple bad days not freaking out, not being hypersensitive with right. your testing, whether that's turning it off early because it's doing so well, because my boss thinks that this is really awesome and I'm going to look good. But equally, you know, we've had two bad days. Let's not freak. You know, I'm running a large mobile platform test right now that has like tens of millions of dollars of impact. And we recently had two really bad days of performance, which were kind of just freak occurrences. Um, but the test has recovered since, and now we're like, you know, six or 7% up positive net. But if I were oversensitive after day two, I mean, that's, we lost like hundreds of thousands of dollars on that test for those two days easily, if not more. 
And it's very easy for us to be hypersensitive and would have terminated that test and abandoned it and would have said, you know what, obviously the mobile platform te- you know, is terrible. Let's scrap it right. back to the drawing board. Um, but that's why those protocols and really selling the idea of testing internally, both to yourself and to the company, is, is really so important uh, and really establishing the, kind of those guidelines. So. Well, it's it's having the ability to, to put your seatbelt on <laughs> right, and hold on for the ride. You know, right. you, you mentally prepare yourself for we're going to run this for X days right. and you just got to run it. Yeah, and, and there, there might be a terrifying. point where it's like, you know, what we're in day nine, it's tanked every day. <laughs> Let's maybe call there it. There is that's, a point. That's yeah. fine. But, you know, there's also something to be said for, you know, you you have to kind of stick to your guns at a certain point. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But to be, uh, to do your due diligence in your job, I would say, right. and deliver your company with results that they can count on as much as they can. You need that, and your company deserves it, uh, and really, you deserve it to yourself to kind of do the best job that you can. So, 904-270-9603. Give us a call. Shoot us a text. I want to hear about your tests that had massive swings in them. Either you bailed on them <laughs> How or... How many bullets did you sweat? You you hung in there, <laughs> lost a few thousand, right. kept it together, and ended up with a positive gain. I want to hear about those. I think that's actually all we have for tonight. hmm I think it's um, a good stopping point. Yeah, I think it's a good stopping point. I guess we'll see you next week. Yeah. This is Rob. This is Corey. Signing off.